Wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Will Smith got out of his seat, walked the six or eight steps, open hand slapped another person, and then went and sat back down, and then yelled obscenities at that person. And the Academy did nothing. That's April Rain. She's the creator of Oscar So White. And she's talking about the slap heard round the Academy Awards. And then the internet. On Sunday, what I thought would be a pretty uneventful show turned into one of the most memorable Oscars in recent history. Best Actor winner Will Smith smacked comedian Chris Rock for making a joke about his wife Jada Pinkett Smith. Rock was presenting the award for Best Documentary, an award Questlove took home for Summer of Soul. That part's been overshadowed. And in the midst of presenting the award, Rock made a joke about Pinkett Smith's appearance. At first, Will Smith laughed. But moments later, he showed Chris Rock just how unfunny he found the whole thing. Uh-oh, Richard! <laughs> oh, wow! That 10-second altercation has become the main topic of discussion on Twitter and Facebook, and it's motivated so many people to write think pieces. In the days since, Will Smith has issued an apology to Chris Rock calling his own behavior unacceptable and unexcusable. We don't know what, if any, actions the Academy will take. But we do know that this incident has sparked a lot of conversations about intersectionality, race, gender, privilege, toxic masculinity, and a lot of other topics that on the surface seem to have little to do with the onstage squabble. Welcome to Pop Cultured. I'm Bridget Armstrong. A little later, we're going to get into another upcoming awards show. But first, what can we learn from a slap? We're going to talk about what went down at the Oscars between Will Smith and Chris Rock and what the public's reaction to it all says about us. Initially, I thought it was part of a bit, to be honest with you. I thought the slap was fake. April rain again. And then I saw Will sit down and I saw the emotion on his face when he said, I'm paraphrasing, you know, keep my wife's name out your MF and mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your mouth. I'm going to, okay? Um, and then I knew at least that part was real. And then, you know, Twitter is my social media platform of choice. And so I'm reading, I'm scrolling, and people are sending me videos. And then I saw the slap in slow motion. It's like, oh, no, he absolutely connected on that slap. So what warranted the slap or what people are speculating warranted the slap was Chris Rock made a joke about Jada Pinkett Smith's shaved head. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? Can you explain why that might be a sensitive topic to Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith? I think that there are several things going on. First and foremost, this is not the first time that there's been an issue between Chris and Will and Jada Pinkett Smith, right? It started, at least to my knowledge, in 2016 when Chris was hosting the Oscars, made a joke about Jada not being invited based on Will's lack of nomination. Jada says she's not coming. Protesting, I'm like, is she on a TV show? Jada's gonna boycott the Oscars. Jada boycotting the Oscars is like me boycotting Rihanna's panties. 
it. Secondly, what we know is that Jada has an autoimmune condition, which um, has caused alopecia. And so her shaved head is not voluntary. She has lost her hair. So there are some who would say that Chris making a joke about a health condition that Jada Pinkett Smith has no control over is ableist. It is not clear whether Chris was aware at the time that Jada has the condition. I think knowing that may change some things for some folks. But we also know that Chris Rock made a documentary several years ago called Good Hair. Those are my daughters, Lola and Zara, the most beautiful girls in the world. And even though I tell them that they're beautiful every single day, sometimes it's just not good enough. Just yesterday, Lola came into the house crying and said, Daddy, how come I don't have good hair? I wonder how she came up with that idea. And we know that women, especially Black women, have a very fraught relationship with their hair. So there's a difference between making jokes, even if in poor form, about perhaps Tiffany Haddish or Sanaa Lathan, who both voluntarily shave their head, which is different from, again, losing your hair because of a health condition. So this is the kind of story where it can start to feel like everyone has an opinion and people are sharing a lot of those opinions online. What's the reaction you've been seeing and how is that reaction different based on who you are? Like, how are Hollywood people reacting to this situation versus regular folks online? Well, Hollywood people seem to be taking this in stride. You know, I saw a video of Will literally getting jiggy with it in an Oscar after party. And so it didn't seem that he was shunned at all. We saw, to his credit, the elder statesman that he is, Denzel Washington, counseling. And I saw him speak to both Chris Rock and Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. And Tyler Perry was also there talking to Will Smith, I saw Bradley Cooper hugging and actually having a conversation, though short, with Will Smith. So it seems that Hollywood took this in stride for the most part from what I could see. There were some celebrities like Rob Reiner and Kathy Griffin who condemned Smith's actions online. Director Judd Apatow went on a bit of a rant on Twitter saying that Smith could have killed Chris Rock. He's since deleted that tweet. And when it comes to regular folks, the opinions are mixed. I think that people in social media, everybody's split and all over the place. And it absolutely matters whether you are a person from the global majority or not. I've seen a lot of misogynoir in the last hours since it happened because people are not taking into account the intersection here between both race and sex. And a lot of Monday morning quarterback in this case, because there's a lot that we just don't know. We can't get into the heads of any of those folks. We can only go off of what we saw. We saw Jada's pained face. We heard the joke. We saw Will's reaction. Anything else truly is conjecture. What do you think people's reactions, whether it be the conversations about violence or the conversations about the lack of protection for Black women, What do you think those conversations are telling us about the way people see Hollywood, gender, race, and power dynamics in this situation? People are not used to seeing Black men defend Black women so publicly. We can sort of relate this to 
Senator Cory Booker defending Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson during her Senate confirmation hearings to become the next Supreme Court justice. You have earned this spot. You are worthy. You are a great American. Of course, Booker was just talking. He didn't haul off and slap anyone. There were people who couldn't understand, thought it was inappropriate for Corey to act that way and so on. But as Malcolm X said, the most maligned, the most disrespected, the most mistreated, paraphrasing, person in the world is the Black woman. And so when we see vocal, obvious support, a lot of people just don't know what to do with that. There are things that happen where everybody's talking about on the internet for a few days. The jokes are made, the memes are made. And then there are things like this that happen where they seem to stir up these different conversations that are really deep and about intersectionality and really about all of these other things in society that aren't about, like in this incident, the slap. What are the elements in this situation that sort of make it right for the think pieces and in this case, the podcast episodes? I think there's a lot. There, there's a question about the support that Black women receive in public spaces. There is the question of ableism. Some people are talking about how the Smith's non-traditional marriage plays into this. There is the question about how far comedians should go. You know, Will says in his autobiography that he felt guilt and shame about not being able to protect his mother from his abusive father. So that has been weighing on him for decades. You know, this was Will's Oscar to lose. Everybody thought that Will was going to win, including me, right? And so, yes, it's good that people hold you in such esteem, but it is pressure nonetheless, right? And, and so he's sitting there and God forbid he didn't win. Then what does that mean? What does that feel like? So all of that is happening. There is Will and Jada's relationship. I saw a word that I won't repeat trending online, questioning Will's masculinity because he didn't, quote unquote, stand up when Jada had her, quote unquote, entanglement with August Altacena. And so maybe this was him trying to reassert his manhood. That's a conversation that I guess can be had. It's not one that, that I really would get into. And then just the question overall about violence. Is it ever right? Is it right when you're protecting your family? Did she need to be protected? Was it right in this moment or should Will have waited and maybe taken Chris aside at an after party? And then there are also the questions about race and class. Would Will have been arrested had he been a white man? Would Will have punched Chris had Chris been a white comedian? You know, there are a bazillion different conversations that you can have based on less than a minute of an interaction. It's been years since April Rain created the Oscar So White hashtag. And in that time, the Academy has improved somewhat when it comes to racial diversity. But I wanted to know what she thinks about the argument that people are having over respectability. That somehow what Will Smith did has the potential to overshadow the achievements of other Black and Brown people in Hollywood. That's a difficult question. The slap did overshadow momentous wins, because we're not talking about Ariana DeBose, unfortunately. We're not talking about Jane Campion's win as a woman director. We're not even talking about the fact that Will Smith is now just the fifth Black man to win the Best Actor Oscar. But Hollywood seems to be fine, right? We're going to get over it, or we're at least going to move on on social media in the next two or three days, and then hopefully 
the conversation will go back where it belongs to celebrating the momentous wins of several people. With respect to respectability politics, I think there is a lot that we can discuss about what happened last night. I think what we should not be discussing is the white gaze (laughs) and how it looks to other people. I also want to make a plea for singularity. When one Black person does something bad, we should not attribute that to the entire Black race. White folks don't do that. Kyle Rittenhouse can go and kill people and white men aren't saying, oh, you know, (laughs) this looks really bad for us. They don't do that. We shouldn't be doing that. You know, this is an individual who reacted to a slight to his wife. One of the things I go back and forth on in this conversation is the question of privilege and how that plays into this. And Will Smith obviously being a very privileged, well-known, rich actor with a production company and a platform, but him, him also still being a Black man and being judged in a different way. And so I go, I keep coming back to this question of like, had someone else done this and it not been Will Smith? but a lesser known actor, would they have gotten away with it? And how does that privilege then even play into Will Smith's decision to do it? And so where in this conversation, as we're talking about toxic masculinity, as we're talking about the very real threads about Black women not being protected and people not being used to seeing that, where does privilege come into play in all of this? Will Smith got out of his seat, walked the six or eight steps, open hand slapped another person and then went and sat back down and then yelled obscenities at that person. And the Academy did nothing in the moment. Now, you know, they issued a statement. Now there's a review going on and query whether they can even consider taking Will's Oscar away when they haven't taken away the Oscars of known sexual offenders like Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein, but that's another conversation for another day. But you can see the privilege because immediately after I was like, oh, okay, the the show is just going to go on. <laughs> like we, we aren't even going to address what's happening. And then Will gets on stage after receiving the Oscar win and gives a full speech There were some that said, okay, well, maybe the penance for slapping someone on international TV is that your Oscar speech after your win needs to be presented backstage with the press. Maybe you don't, you don't get that moment because that's there forever. So absolutely there, there is a privilege that we see there with respect to class and where the height of Will Smith's career is. Because, you know, as you mentioned, if this had been a lesser known actor, things might have been different. At the end of the day, though, Will Smith is still a Black man. So yes, he has privilege, but he also will be judged differently because of his race. What do you think the potential fallout could be for this, for Will, for Jada, even for Chris Rock? Will there be a fallout? I don't see one happening. I I think that the Academy has to say what they're going to say. You know, we're going to take this under review. But the backlash that they would receive already, the Academy isn't doing well. (laughs) The ratings have been horrible the last several years, and the Academy is struggling in all kinds of ways. 
So I think that they have to put out the official statement, but attempting to hold Will accountable when they haven't held accountable all the other people is going to be a problem for them. Will Smith has his own production company. So if he wants to make a movie tomorrow, that movie will get made. Jada is the victim here, the aggrieved person. So I hope that there is an outpouring of support for her. Chris Rock, I think that if Chris Rock went to Netflix and said, hey, I want to do a two-hour special and talk about many things, including what happened last night, that they would snap it up. And everybody else would too, because unfortunately, at the end of the day, it is all about money. So I don't see any professional consequences for anyone involved. I wonder whether there will be personal, meaning societal consequences for Chris Rock, whether he will be pushed to the side a little bit because he came after a Black woman. He came after a very well-known couple in the Black community. So I, I wonder how many people will stand with Chris on that front. And if he is shunned, how long that will last. I don't believe in cancel culture. It doesn't exist. People may need to take a breather for a while, but they will always come back. People today would still work with Harvey Weinstein if he wasn't in jail, would still work with Woody Allen and Kevin Spacey and so on. You know what I mean? So uh, cancel culture in my mind isn't a thing. Are they going to be free of consequences? We'll see, but I don't think that those consequences will be lasting. The Academy announced that they are launching an investigation into the incident, and it's unclear whether Will Smith will have to give back his Oscar. Now, from one awards show to another that will hopefully be a little more calm. The Grammys are this Sunday. Things are a little different this time around. To start, because of the pandemic, this show's happening later this year. There are some major changes in the rules and nominating committees, and Kanye West is banned from performing after displaying what the Grammys called concerning online behavior. There are some big stories from the Grammys this year and a lot of artists and music to cover. So I caught up a few music critics to get their takes on the Grammys. You'll hear from them throughout the episode. The conversation about the Grammys is as much about the nominees and winners as it is about the slighted and snubbed. Every year, fans and artists accuse the show of being biased and unfair, and people start questioning if the Grammys matter at all. I think it'll be interesting to see how artists continue to respond to the question of whether or not they care about the Grammys. Allison Hussey is a staff writer for Pitchfork. The weekend pretty much put his foot down and said that he was not really interested in participating in the Grammys. Even though he had one of the biggest albums last year, The Weeknd wasn't nominated for a single Grammy in 2021. A lot of people, including The Weeknd himself, say he was snubbed. And that snub might have been caused by a rule in the Grammys nomination process. For a long time, the Grammys had these secret nominating committees that would make the final decision about certain categories like Record of the Year, Album of the Year, and Best New Artist. You know, the big ones. So no matter what the rest of the Grammy voters thought, if that final committee didn't like you, you were out. But this year, that rule is out. And even though this time around, The Weeknd is nominated, he says he's still uninterested in participating. And his Toronto homie Drake will join the boycott. He took himself out of the running for Best Rap Album and Best Rap Performance when he withdrew from the nominations. 
But hip-hop artists have been beefing with the Grammys ever since the show added rap categories in 1989. A young Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff won the first-ever Grammy Award for Best Rap Performance. But they, along with salt and Pepper, LL Cool J, and some other big names in hip-hop, set the show out because the rap categories weren't televised that year. We chose to boycott. Uh, we feel that it's a slap in the face. We just had a problem Will with Smith, the 1989, folks. Fast forward to 2021, and Tyler, the creator, said this. I'm very grateful that uh, what I made could just be, you know, uh, acknowledged in a world like this. But also, it sucks that whenever we, and I mean guys that look like me, do anything that's genre-bending or that's anything, they always put it in a rap or urban category which is, and I don't like that urban word, it's just a politically correct way to say the N-word to me. But hip-hop isn't the only genre or category of music that the Grammys have been accused of overlooking or misrepresenting. This debate about what genres the Grammys chooses to specifically honor and who should be nominated has come up a lot over the years. And in many cases, they've added categories to address the expanding industry and the audience's growing musical appetite. There are 86 categories being presented this year. There have been more than that in previous years. But when the show started in 1958, there were only 28. Just this year, the Grammys added a category for Best Global Music Performance, though a Global Music Album Award has been around since 1992. And even though the Grammys added this new category, the world music field has always been a bit of a struggle for them. It's hard to distill all of the world's music outside of the United States into just a few picks. So you end up with an Indian classical great like Ravi Shankar going head to head with the famed South African choral group Ladysmith Black Mombasa. Basically, the global music field has always been a house that was too small to fit the world's music in. But one place that seems like it needs its own home is Africa. This year, four out of the five nominations for best global music performance feature African artists. Obviously, Africa is a continent with countries and cultures that each have their own types of music. And that's a lot of music. We still haven't solved the issue of what exactly is African music. At least the Grammys seem to have absolutely no idea. Oris Abahavalo is a Nigerian-based film and music critic. For the longest time, what they did was to take songs that were as far away as possible from what you heard on mainstream radio across the continent. So the albums that would get nominated wouldn't necessarily be what you'd hear at a club in Cape Town or a party in Lagos. But with the global explosion of Afropop, also known as Afrobeats, some of those songs became really hard to ignore. This genre has become incredibly popular, so much so that Beyonce has worked with a couple of artists in the space. Afrobeats has a growing fan base all over the world, including here in the U.S., where the sound has definitely made it into American pop music. Beyonce worked with Afrobeats artists like T.Y. Savage, Burner Boy, and Wizkid on the Black is King album. Wizkid and Tim's song Essence was in the top 10 on the Billboard charts for weeks. Justin Bieber hopped on the remix. And last year, the Grammys gave an award to an Afrobeats artist. Nigerian artist Burner Boy took home the award for Best Global Music Album. 
This is a big win for my generation of Africans all over the world. And this should be a lesson to every African out there. No matter where you are, no matter what you plan to do, you can achieve it. This year, he's nominated for that category again. And he's nominated for the new global music performance category for a song he did with seasoned Beninese legend Angelique Kija. They're up against fellow Nigerian Afrobeat star Wizkid and Afrobeat legend Femi Kuti. Pakistani artists Aruj Aftab and famed cellist Yo-Yo Ma are also nominated in the category. Oris thinks it's cool that a wider selection of African artists are finally getting recognition at the Grammys. He's rooting for Femi Kuti this year. But he thinks the conversation about a separate genre at the Grammys is sidestepping an even more important one. Maybe those guys should win first, and then we can have a discussion with Western media as to what exactly the genre is called. Let's decide what exactly do we call it, because the Grammys will put a seal on whatever name they choose to call that category. But I would like for us to have that conversation first. The changes in the global field aren't the only ones this year. Alison Hussey again. They've expanded some of the categories this year, and they've added a lot more voters to the voting pool in order to change the demographics this year. Last year, the Grammys invited more than 2,700 music industry folks to join as voting members. They say that almost half of the invitees were from traditionally underrepresented groups. The Grammys also reduced the number of genre-specific categories members can vote in from 15 to 10, hoping it'll encourage members to vote on categories they know the most about. So you don't have people who don't know anything about hip-hop voting on the rap category, and we end up with Mac Lamore as the winner over Kendrick Lamar. So I'm really intrigued to see what kind of the post-game of the Grammys is going to be this year. Are the new voters going to shift voting at all? Is that going to be something that we're going to be able to see? And how are the Grammys going to move forward from here? With the secret nominating committees out, we could see some shakeups and surprises in the big categories of the night. Album of the Year, Record of the Year, and Best New Artist. This year, the Album of the Year nominations include some of the usual suspects like Tony Bennett, Lady Gaga, and Kanye West. There's also newcomer and standout Olivia Rodrigo, R&B singer Her, 2020's Best New Artist Billie Eilish, this year's Grammy darling John Batiste, the recently retired Doja Cat, and a few other frontrunners. Album of the Year, I think, could possibly go to Billie Eilish or Taylor Swift, who are both past winners. That's Joey Guerra. He covers music for the Houston Chronicle. Taylor Swift and Billie Eilish may be the obvious choices, but Joey's rooting for someone else. I would love to see a Little Nas X one. I think that album was solid from start to finish. It was a very smart balance of commercial appeal and kind of artistic flair, artistic flourish from him. It really identified him as a performer. It really showed us who he was in terms of a singer, a rapper, a songwriter. It was very diverse. It was one of my favorite albums of the past year. As big and as popular as he is, he continues to push forward and break boundaries as an LGBT artist. So that's really, really exciting to see. Record of the Year, not to be confused with Song of the Year, is an award that recognizes all the people who contribute to the recording of a song. The artists, the engineers, the producers. It's arguably the biggest award of the night. 
So for record of the year this year, I really feel like Olivia Rodrigo is going to win this year with driver's license. And I just can't imagine how you could be so It was just such a huge hit, especially with like TikTok being such a big force around it. I feel like Olivia is probably going to have a pretty big year with the Grammys. We don't know if TikTok trends have a major influence on the Grammy voters. But this year, a lot of the songs nominated in the best record category, like Driver's License and Doja Cat and SZA's Kiss Me More, were big on TikTok. Allison is hoping another very popular TikTok song will win. I would really love it if Lil Nas X's Montero won. I just thought it was a really good song. I love the video. I just like the song better, honestly. A lot of Lil Nas X fans on this episode. Imagine just two years ago, he was making his way down Old Town Road in the Best New Artist category. And thanks to eligibility changes in recent years opening up the number of nominees, this year there's a mix of new artists vying for the Grammy, from Saweetie to Glass Animals, to the kid Leroy and Aruj Aftab. Best new artist this year, I would really love to see Aruj Aftab or Japanese Breakfast win. I think if somebody like Aruj Aftab or Japanese Breakfast won, that that kind of win would really show that Grammy voters are really serious about kind of steering the ship in a positive direction. I think that both are really strong contenders. And I really feel like a win for either of them, you know, over somebody like Phineas, who's also nominated in the best new artist category, which just feels a little weird at this point. Phineas isn't really new. He's been making music with his sister, Billie Eilish, for a while now. Last year, they won the Grammy for Record of the Year for the song Everything I Wanted. And that is something the Grammys does sometimes. Nominates artists who seem like they've been around for a little while. In this case, Phineas was nominated for work he did with his sister, not as a solo artist. But Allison doesn't think it'll be his night anyway. This is just going to go to Olivia Rodrigo again. I think... Everyone will be shocked, dismayed, disappointed if uh, Olivia Rodrigo doesn't take that one. Her debut album, Sour, had a lot of millennials reliving their teenage heartbreak. It is undoubtedly hers to lose. She, I think, more than anybody on that list deserves it. She had some great songs. She had huge success. She didn't just have one song, two, three, four. I mean, she kind of kept it going all year. And for a first album to kind of be that good and be that successful at the same time, I think is not always easy to achieve. So Olivia Rodrigo probably will win and should win. Olivia Rodrigo joins a number of standout women artists who are nominated for Grammys across categories this year. There are a few people who I would love to see win in pretty much any category. Japanese Breakfast, Rouge Aftab, Mickey Guyton, and Jasmine Sullivan, I think in particular. All of them are women who are doing pretty unique work and pushing things ahead in all of their respective genres. Japanese Breakfast is an experimental pop band led by frontwoman Michelle Zahner. They're nominated for Best New Artist and Best Alternative Album. Aruj Aftab, who we mentioned earlier, is the first Pakistani woman to be nominated for a Grammy. Jasmine Sullivan is nominated for Best R&B Album, Best R&B Performance, and Best R&B Song. 
And Mickey Guyton is up for Best Country Solo Performance and Best Country Song and Album. Last year, she became the first black female solo artist to be nominated in a country music category. Mickey Guyton is another example. She's also from Texas. And it's just great to see her getting the critical acclaim that I think she deserves. If you think we live in the land of the free, you should try to be black like me. I would just love for radio to really embrace her because they haven't done that yet. As much as people want to talk about her and have her perform on award shows and things like that, I would really love audiences to get behind her. The best dance and electronic recording category, I would really love it if Caribou's You Can Do It wins. That song is just really fun and makes me feel really good. It's still been a really hard time, and Caribou is somebody who I've really liked for a long time, and this one just like really hits the spot. Now we go from the dance floor to the orchestra. There's a composer, Caroline Shaw, whose composition, Narrow Sea, is up for a Best Contemporary Classical. I reviewed Narrow Sea for Pitchfork last year and really loved it so much. She won a Pulitzer Prize a few years ago for her amazing work, uh, Partita for Eight Voices. And since then, Caroline Shaw has just continued to do just some really incredible stuff. I loved Narrow Sea. It was one of my favorite records last year. And yeah, it would just be nice to see somebody I love get another win. That's it for us today. I'm Bridget Armstrong, host and senior producer of the show. And the award for best producer goes to Alicia Key. The award for excellence in audio goes to senior engineer Andrew Calloway. Graylin Brashear gets a Lifetime Achievement Award for being an amazing director of audio at The Skim. And big thanks to the nominees, April Rain, Joey Guerra, Oris Akbahavalo, and Allison Hussey for talking to me. We'll have links to their work, plus a link to a Spotify playlist with all the music we talked about in the show notes. And while you're down there in the show notes, we'd love for you to click the survey link you'll find there, because we want to know more about you and what you want to hear us cover on this show. It'll only take a few minutes, I swear. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And in the meantime, be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend.